shout or something, yeah, right? Hey, go ahead and have a seat if you would. Hey, we are so uh, glad to have you with us here today, and, and I think the message of that song is uh, just everything, who we are and what we're about as a church, that uh, Christ's love, it never fails, uh, it never gives up on any of us. And there we go, there's the, uh, the light from heaven, yeah, right there. Uh, that is the message, that is the truth, that's what we're all about here at Genesis Church, and um, if you're new with us today, uh, we want you to know that you don't have to come in here with a disguise on, uh, afraid to be found out or something. Uh, we're all people that just need Jesus, and, uh, and we hope that you hear that message loud and clear while you're here today. Um, welcome to Genesis, and if you're new, uh, we hope that you'll take some time to figure out a little bit more about who we are. The worship program is a great way to start in that. Uh, to read some of the, about some of the things that are happening here at Genesis Church. Uh, we've got an info hub just outside of these doors as you leave today. If you've got some questions about our church, uh, please feel free to stop by there and, and ask those questions, and we'd be happy to serve you uh, in any way that we can. Uh, we want to make sure that uh, you have a great visit with here, here with us. Uh, last week I told you uh, that we would be praying about how we as a church might be able to provide some relief and some support uh, to the relief work that's going on in Japan right now. Uh, several of you suggested that we look to a great organization, a, a, a Christian organization, a relief organization uh, that has a really awesome reputation for some of the work that they've been doing around the world. Uh, Time Magazine recently mentioned them as one of the as the number one uh, Christian organization to work with. It's a group called Convoy of Hope. And uh, Convoy of Hope right now is focused on getting water, food, and emergency supplies uh, to those who are in desperate need in the most devastated places right now in Japan. And they're already on the ground and already at work. Uh, I'm excited to tell you that as a church, we're going to be sending $10,000 from our outreach fund uh, to help support the work of Convoy of Hope. And knowing uh, that some of you have been wondering uh, how you might be able to help or how you might be able to go over and above this cause, uh, we want to give you several ways that you can give to this uh, if you would like. And these are mentioned in your worship program. Uh, first of all, you can give in the offering today and you can give uh, next week as well if you want to write a check or put it in an envelope just to make sure to note Japan on that check or on that envelope. Uh, you can give online. If you go to our website, you can see more directions on how to do that. Just again, make sure that you designate Japan. Or you can go directly to Convoy of Hope's website. It's convoyofhope.org and, and give through their site. Uh, I was thinking, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, we had 600 people here on a Sunday morning with us in worship at Genesis. Um, and I think you could see the impact that uh, even if every person gave 10 or $20, is it possible that we could even match that $10,000 gift? Um, and, and so we want to invite you, if you want to be involved with that, that you can. But keep praying, too, uh, because our prayers matter. And uh, we need to be praying uh, for those people uh, and the work that's happening there. I was reading recently that less than 1% of the people of Japan know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so what a great opportunity that we have as a church right now uh, to help people find their way back to God, uh, even in a place like Japan. So um, I'm going to invite our host team to come forward uh, and take our offering now. We celebrate in our giving uh, here at Genesis. Uh, because it's your giving uh, and your generosity that makes things like giving to Japan and our build out and uh, supporting an ongoing ministry, our, our efforts in Haiti, uh, even possible. So, so thanks for your gifts this morning. If you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to take them and open them right now to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19, we're going to be continuing in our Elijah series this morning and we're just, uh, we're going to get moving in this. Um, I think I've mentioned to you in the past or on a number of occasions that my wife and I are runners. 
And uh, so we typically try and get up every morning uh, and, and go for a run. And we have to have a little routine because there are little kids that need to be accounted for. Uh, so I'll get up about 6 and go out for my run. And then as I'm coming back to the house around 6.45, Jenny's sitting on the porch and uh, she's ready to go for her run. And so that's the way it kind of rolls in the Moomaw house. But the wintertime is no fun. And uh, we used to run year-round, but as we get a little bit older, we're discovering uh, that there's no joy at running in zero-degree weather in January. So for the last couple of years, we've tried something a little different. And, and last year, uh, we did the uh, DVD workout program, P90X. Maybe you've heard about it or seen it on TV. And, and it went well for us, and we did all right in it and made it all three months. And uh, this year, we decided to try uh, the other DVD series that's really popular that you see on TV, and it's entitled Insanity. And uh, it's named Insanity for a reason. And uh, it's two months, uh, six days a week, uh, 40 minutes to 55 minutes of, of nonstop movement. And so we get up early before the sun's up and we go down to the basement together and we pop this DVD in and it really and truly is insane. It, it, it's, it's a lot of movement. It's a lot of jumping up and down. It's a lot of twisting your body in directions that it's not supposed to be twisted and all that. And I, and I have come to a couple of points over the last couple of months where I've really almost fainted, like truly almost fainted. Like this is one of the toughest uh, workouts that I've ever been involved with uh, because it's designed to take you to the max. I mean, it's designed to take you all the way to the breaking point uh, to get you to this place where you've got nothing left to give. Well, we've been looking at Elijah and his life over the past couple of weeks. uh, And just because he's got his name in the Bible doesn't mean he's a superhero or something. Uh, we, we've seen Elijah in a number of different life situations. Uh, it's a great story, but as we bring this to a close today, I want to show you a man uh, who gets to a place in his life where he really and truly has reached his end. He's got nothing left to give. He's maxed out. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning in verse 1, it says this. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done And how he had killed all of the prophets with the sword. Now, Ahab is this dirty, rotten king of Israel. He's the 19th consecutive evil king of Israel. And the scriptures say uh, that he was the worst. He had led the people farther away from God, uh, encouraging them to turn to the false gods like Baal and Asherah. But now, Ahab liked to think that he was the ruler of Israel. But his wife Jezebel was really the one calling the shots. And it really doesn't change even much 2,000 years or however many years later. Right, folks, does it? I mean, you know, I mean, men, we we like to think that we might be calling the shots in the house. But we all know that it's the ladies uh, that are calling the shots. That's what's going on here. Well, well, in this situation, Jezebel's this nasty, wicked woman. And by the time we get to chapter 19, uh, she's calling all the shots in Israel. And she's not a big fan of Elijah. And so in verse 2, it says, So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time to, tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Now, now, when she says one of them, what's she referring to? Well, well, Jezebel is referring to all of the late false prophets of Israel. You know, you remember the showdown on Israel or on Mount Carmel that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the 850 false prophets. Well, these were Jezebel's boys and, and, and the nation of Israel executed them uh, after they were shamed. And, and so it's like Jezebel is saying to, to uh, Elijah, um, you killed my cronies and, and you're next to Elijah. I am going to kill you. And so what does Elijah do? How does he respond? Verse three, it says Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. 
Now, if you think about it, it's, it's a little hard to believe that Elijah would respond this way, especially after all he's been through with God. I mean, let's just review the story for just a couple of minutes, if you would, just to, to kind of help you see what this is, especially if you're just joining us. Week one, Josh talked to us uh, about King Ahab. Ahab, again, was leading the people farther away from God, and God sees this. And so he raises up a prophet in Elijah and instructs Elijah to go to Ahab with this message. Uh, Elijah or Ahab, God's not so pleased with you, and so it's not going to rain for a long time. And, and that's exactly what happened. Elijah predicts this drought, and sure enough, what he said came true. It didn't rain. And so as you can imagine, Ahab was pretty upset with Elijah, and Elijah became one of Israel's most wanted men. And so he's forced to run for his life, to run into the wilderness during a drought, I might remind you. And he ends up at this place called the Kareth Ravine. And, and so he's hiding out in the desert during a drought, And and so don't think that he's completely spared from all of the trauma of this. I mean, this is a challenging time in his life. Uh, Elijah is a humbled man. He's waiting on God. He's learning dependence. I mean, it's interesting how God will do that to you, right? That God will allow you to find yourself in some situations, maybe even right now in your life, where he will humble you and he will teach you to depend on him more and more. And that's exactly what he's doing with Elijah. He's teaching him dependence. And all along the way, he's providing. And he's not providing this meat or or this water to make Elijah rich. He's giving him just enough. Just enough to sustain him along the way. Well, one day, all the provisions came to an end. And this was God's way of moving in Elijah, uh, telling him to go to this place called Zarephath. And he goes to Zarephath, and he meets this poor widow that's living there. Remember, there's a drought taking place, so she doesn't have much, if anything at all. But with the little that she has, she extends generosity to Elijah. And what does God do? Well, God does what he's known for. And he takes, uh, through our generosity, he takes even, even the smallest gifts and he multiplies them and he turns them into something greater. And there was enough for everyone. And when her son dies, God uses Elijah to raise the son back to life. And, and so God just keeps providing in Elijah's life. He keeps showing up in these great ways. And in the season of dependence and preparation, he's reminding Elijah of his power, his great power and his faithfulness. Well, from Zarephath, God sends Elijah back to Ahab. And when he gets there, Elijah invites the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah to come and meet him at Mount Carmel. And, and tensions are really high at this point. And this is kind of this cage match, you know, this UFC showdown or something right here in the wilderness between Elijah and the false prophets of Baal and Asherah. And all the people of Israel come together to see what's about to happen. The game, the match, uh, they're, they're determined, who's the real God? Who's the real God here? Who's the one that will show up? And, and it's a great story in chapter 18. And if you haven't read it before, I'd encourage you to check it out. But the end of the story goes something like this. All day long, the false prophets prayed for their gods to send down fire from heaven, but nothing. And then finally, Elijah calls to the God of heaven, the God who sent Jesus Christ, to send fire from heaven. And what does God do? He responds immediately in the moment and consumes the sacrifice. And not only did Ahab and Elijah and Jezebel and the false prophets witness this power of God, but the people of Israel, the ones who had turned their backs on God, saw it firsthand too. Steve talked about Elijah and the power of prayer and that it hadn't rained in Israel in over three years. But Elijah knew and believed it was time. And last week we saw a man humbled by God bowing before him in prayer, praying for rain. He he prayed six times and nothing, but he kept praying and he prayed the seventh time 
And what did the scripture say? A cloud about the size of a man's hand appeared in the sky, and before you know it, it was raining in Israel. Now, I don't know about you, but, but I think it's interesting that in a short few years, Elijah heard from God. He, he pronounced a drought. He fled for his life and he watched as God provided. He, he raised a boy back to life. He witnessed as God sent fire from heaven and finally rain when it hadn't rained in three years. And Elijah saw every bit of it. I'd say those are some good years. I'd say that's a pretty good story, a pretty good testimony, wouldn't you? A pretty unique relationship with God. But then one day, a woman threatens his life saying, I'm going to kill you. And Elijah panics and he runs. Because he's got nothing left to give. You know, I think Elijah is a perfect example of what happens in your life and in my life, my life when you get tired, when you get lazy, when you're running on empty, and when you take your eyes off of God for even just a moment. I mean, he's had all of these spectacular, great things happening for him, but now he's got nothing left to give. And look at what happens next. Verse 3 says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. You know, again, Here's a guy that has witnessed so many tremendous, spectacular, miraculous things by God. He, he prayed for fire and God sent fire. He prayed for rain and God sent rain. And now he's asking God to take his life. How many of you have ever been to the Golden Gate Bridge before in San Francisco? Anybody ever been there? Maybe seen it from a distance. You've all seen it on TV before. Uh, my friend sent me this picture this past week. Uh, it's obviously uh, a view from the Golden Gate Bridge, but it's an interesting view. Uh, because right in the middle of the bridge, there's this call box. Uh, did you know that the Golden Gate Bridge is known as the most popular place in the world to take your life? To commit suicide. Uh, they say on average anywhere from one person, uh, about one person every two weeks... Uh, will jump to their death, traveling at a rate of 76 miles per hour, dying almost on immediate impact. I, I knew a guy one time who served with the Coast Guard. Uh, his station was at the base of this bridge. That was a big part of what they did. They were always pulling bodies out of the water. It it's interesting that it's become so well known that there are now uh, crisis call boxes on the bridge for people who need to call out for help, maybe in their final moments. Um, this gets me because I could never imagine coming to that place where you would be willing to take such, uh, go to such drastic measures. Can you, I mean, can you imagine, you, can you imagine praying a prayer, God, would you take my life? But some of you are here this morning, you'd say, yeah, um, I know exactly what that's like because I came just about that close. Or maybe you'd say, you know what, that's a little drastic, that's a little extreme, I've never really gone all the way to that place. But, but when we talk about having nothing left to give, or being at the very end of my rope, or, or, or coming to this place of great emptiness, oh yeah, I know that. In fact, some of you are like, I'm there right now. I know that pain, I know that desperation. Well, what happened in Elijah's life, I think can so quickly and so easily happen in our lives. 
And, and so what, what can we do to contribute to this? You know, uh, what can we do to wind up in the same place? I mean, how do you reach the same kind of end that Elijah reached? Well, just a few things real quick. How do you reach such a low? First thing is this, wear yourself out. Uh, that'll do it. Wear yourself out. I mean, think about it. Elijah's been caught up in this massive spiritual battle for about three years now. Uh, he's hearing from God. He's praying. He's seeking God. He's trusting. He's fighting. He's seeking God again. He's praying. He's trusting. He's fighting. And now he's on the run. And geographically, he couldn't have run any farther than in Israel than where he was. He's at the southernmost tip. He's gone as far as he can. And he's emotionally and physically exhausted. Kind of like where some of you find yourself today. And you know what it feels like to have nothing left in your tank. Nothing left to give. I mean, you give and you give and you give and, and, and you're worn out. You know, maybe because the divorce has taken everything out of you. Or, or this job search has taken much more than you'd ever expected. And you're exhausted. And, and doctors would probably even call where you are right now depression. And some of you moms, you're working a, a full-time job at the office and then you're going home at night and you're running a shuttle service uh, for your kids only to try and find time and space to get home, to, to clean the house, to make food, to take care of the kids, to take care of your needy husband and, and all these different things. And you're always wondering, why am I tired all the time? How come I've got nothing left to give? Uh, some of you men are so concerned about providing uh, for your families and for your loved ones right now and keeping a job and meeting everyone else's needs that you're neglecting your own health and you're neglecting your own being. Uh, and, you're, and, and you're here this morning and you know and you realize, I, I don't have a lot left. Uh, I don't have much more than I can give. Uh, some, of, some of you students are in the middle of a killer semester right now and you're taking the biggest load you've ever taken before and you're trying to do your best so that you're ready for college and uh, can get into the school that you want to get into. Uh, and you've got class, and you've got all these studies, but then you've got life outside of school and family and friends and all these things that you're involved with, and you know that you're on empty. And that's where Elijah is, because he's human too. Another thing that we see in him uh, is just shut people out. Uh, you want to reach your end, shut people out of your life. I mean, we see that in Elijah. He spent most of the last few years of his life in isolation, but we do read here that he's got a close buddy, he's got a close servant that's running with him, but it's like he ditches him at the pilot truck stop here in Bathsheba or, Beersheba or something uh, to kind of go on his own. And, and so now he's on his own. And, and honestly, that's what a lot of us do when we get exhausted. Uh, we shut people out. Uh, we isolate ourselves from one another. Wintertime's a great time to do that, isn't it? I mean, it's cold outside. No one wants to go outside. Uh, it's getting warm. Our neighbors are starting to come out on the street. My neighbor said to me the other day, wow, you know, Kate is getting so big. I mean, it's crazy. You know, it's like we go inside for a few months and, and it's so easy to isolate ourselves. You know, we have the tendency to do that, uh, especially when we get tired. It's easy to shut others out when we get stressed or, or burn out. Now, don't get me wrong. We all need time and space alone. But too much can be unhealthy. Uh, another thing is, is to get focused on the negative all the time. You want to wear yourself out? It's what Elijah did. Focus on the negative. You know, Elijah is doing this. He says, I've had enough. Um, I'm no better than my ancestors. Uh, forget what I've seen God do in the past. I can't do this any longer. You know, self-pity is setting in in Elijah's life. Now, what does self-pity do to us? It causes us to exaggerate our circumstances. And when that happens, we start believing things like, you know, I'm never going to be any good. I, I won't make it through school. I can't keep up this pace. I, I won't be the, the mom that my kids need. I can't be the husband that my wife expects. You know, I'm a failure. You know, self-pity exaggerates. You know, another thing that we do is we forget about God. I mean, take your eyes off of God for even just a moment. And watch how it can just mess everything up. I mean, think about all the ways that God has worked in Elijah's life. And then one threat, and Elijah's like, I'm doomed. God won't come through on this one. And so he's off on the run. 
He won't come through this time. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm guilty of doing this. You know, when I get tired, I mean, I am so blessed. And blessed with a great family uh, and a great church and a great life. I mean, I, I, could spend an, I could spend hours making a list of how God has blessed me continually over and over. But when I'm tired and when I have nothing left to give, uh, it's so easy to forget about God and His faithfulness in His life. I mean, it's amazing how quickly we can forget And so Elijah wore himself out. He shut people out. He was focused on the negative. He forgot about God. He took his eyes off God. He's got nothing left to give. Uh, And isn't that the story for so many of us here today? That we get to this place where we have nothing left to give. I mean, can you relate? You know, and maybe it's not as extreme for Elijah, but for some of you, you know, it's not too far off. And that's where you find yourself. You've got nothing left to give. I mean, the tank is on empty right now. One more thing will put you over the edge. But here's what I've been praying for, for you today, and have asked some others to pray for. That while you walked in those doors today with one perspective, I'm praying this morning that you would leave with a new perspective. That God would do something in your life today. That he would speak to you in such a clear and a powerful way that it would give you enough to walk out of here today and say, I I can give it another shot. Because some of you are very down and discouraged in your life right now and you've lost all hope. And whether you realize it or not, you've taken your eyes off of God, even if it's just been for a short season. And what I want you to see today is the God who is going to renew Elijah here in just a moment, he can do the same for you. And he can renew your life and your heart and your soul. So let's continue looking to God's word to see how this is going to play out. Uh, Verse 5. It says, then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. I was reading one guy that said these weren't really trees. They were low-lying bushes. And so if you can imagine a guy lying low on the ground underneath a shrub. And it says that all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a chocolate cake of bread baked over hot coals and a bottle of Dasani water. Now, it doesn't really say that, but I think you kind of get the point. There was a cake there. There's this jar of water. And then it says he ate and drank. And then lay down again. So Elijah's at the end of his rope. He's run a long way. There's no one near him. He's sleeping under a bush. He'd rather die. And then God sends an angel to him. And notice what the angel does. There's no discipline here. And there's no lecture. This angel of God basically says to him, get up, enjoy something to eat. Get up and enjoy something to eat. And if you're taking notes, you can write that down. God says, eat and rest. You know, the angel says, eat and rest. And then I'm giving you permission to go back to sleep. Now, we all love food, right? Uh, So this is a great gift. But how many of you love naps, too? We got any nap lovers in this room? How many of you are sitting here right now thinking, I know exactly when and where that nap's going to take place today? You know, that that particular blanket, just where I'm going to be. Well, I want you to see the gift that God is giving to Elijah right here. Because it's not only food, but more importantly, it's rest. And for some of you today, your prescription uh, for refilling your tank isn't another program. It's not another book. It's not another group. It's not even another church service. But the greatest thing that you could do for yourself right now is to give yourself permission to rest. And one of the most overlooked commands in Scripture is the need or the right that we have in our lives to call a time out once in a while and rest. It's about honoring God with a Sabbath in your life. It's where you set aside all of the work and all of the ball games and all of the laundry and all of those things that demand so much physical and mental strength. You put them aside and you say, I am going to rest. You know, the importance of the Sabbath is discussed all throughout Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, but most of us shake it off like it's nothing. 
And for some of you, the most spiritual thing that you could do in your life right now is to carve out a day or to carve out a few hours of your week where you shut everything down and rest. And and I know what some of you are thinking. You're probably thinking, Paul, you're crazy. Uh, You have no idea what life is like, my job's like, our schedule, my kid's schedule, all of these different things that are going on. I mean, we've got ball games three nights a week, my kids in baseball, the girls in softball, we've got Cub Scouts and Girl Scouts, we've got karate and dance lessons, we've got all these things going on. There's no extra time. Well, do you want to know why some of you are too busy? Because you're too busy. That's it. I mean, it's really that simple. I mean, if you don't have time in your life right now to rest, well, then you need to make time in your life to rest. You know, it's one of the things that Jenny and I are continually working on in our lives and in our family right now is that we don't get too overcommitted as a family. And that's challenging. It's hard. I mean, because we've got young kids, both all of our family lives out of town. So there's a travel with them. We've got a growing church right now. And notice these are all good things. I mean, these are all great things that are going on in our life, but we are constantly having to monitor our schedule to protect our time and family. And as our kids get older, we know that this is going to get even more challenging uh, because we want to give our kids opportunities to participate in things, but, but not everything. You know, we want them to have great experiences. And so Joel played basketball this winter, and both of the boys are going to play baseball this summer. And it's tough when they are outstanding athletes, you know, my kids. They are just these unbelievable talents. I mean, it's difficult to say no to some really great opportunities that come up. But we've just decided that our kids don't need to be involved in everything. Because here's what we're learning. It's okay to be home at night. Uh, It's okay to sit at the table as a family and eat dinner together. It's okay to go out in the backyard at night and play with our kids and to play with our neighbors and to get to know them and build relationships with them. And do you know what? It's restful. It's terribly restful. And and personally, here's what I'm learning. I have to take a day every week where I shut down email and shut down the computer and put Facebook away and all these different things. And you do too. And we're busy people. And I know that our culture says, well, you're a wimp if you don't keep up with the pace and if you're not involved in everything. But some of you need to draw a really big line in your life right now and say, you know what? I'm not going to cross this line. This is our new boundary. And you need to do it for your family. And if you're single and you're way too overcommitted, you need a boundary in your life so that we don't get overextended. Verse 7 says, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up ate and drank. Well, evidently, it's kind of like Elijah may have fallen asleep in his cake here or something. Uh, And so the angel comes back again and tells him to get up and look what happens next. It's a strengthened by that food. He traveled another 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. He's not running anymore. He's on a mission now. Mount Horeb is the same place some scholars say uh, where Moses received the Ten Commandments. And and so isn't it interesting what God instructs Elijah to do? To eat and rest and now to go to a place where you are likely or certain to experience God. And and so the first thing that he does is rest, but the second thing is about to happen, and it's an important one, uh, and you're going to see this, and that is that God's about to replace the uh, the lies of his life with the truth. And God will do that, do that for us too. God wants to replace our lives with this truth. Let's see how this plays out. Verse 9. It says, There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, God already knew why Elijah was there. He's an all-knowing God. But it's almost as if he wants Elijah to voice the problem. He wants Elijah to verbalize the lies he was believing. Let's look at them. Verse 10. It says, He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. 
the Israelites have rejected your covenant and broken down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. I mean, take a look at these lies that he's saying. Notice what he's saying to God. I have been very zealous for the Lord. The Lord would reply, true. Uh, The Israelites have rejected your covenant, God. The Lord would reply, true. Uh, They have broken down your altars, true. Uh, They have put your prophets to death with the sword, true. And I'm the only one left. Um, That's false. Well, I've been doing all the work around you. Well, that's false. Well, I'm the only one who seems to care, false. Well, I'm the only one that can get it done right now, false. You see, Elijah had taken on way too much of the responsibility, more responsibility than he actually needed to. He's like, God, I'm the only one doing this. I'm the only one putting in any effort here. I'm the only one with any faith. It's interesting that if you read on a few verses later, God's going to come right back to him by reminding him, Elijah, you might feel like you're the only one in Israel who is faithful, but there are 7,000 who have refused to bow down to these Baals, to these gods of Baal and of Asherah. You know, Elijah wasn't alone in his faithfulness. So God is like, Elijah, quit believing the lies. You are not the only one. Quit giving in to these awful lies. You know, some of you right now, you are so worn out. You are so tired, moving so fast in your life that you're caught up in this pattern of hearing all of these awful lies in your mind and you're believing them. Lives like, you know what, my marriage will never be healed. My marriage will never be great. Lies like, you know, my children will never come back to God or, or my, no, my husband will never know God like I do. You know, why are these lies so destructive? Because the Bible says that if our faith is even the size of a mustard seed, well, God moves mountains. That even God can move mountains. But when we take our eyes off of God, you know, and we're like, well, I got this medical report. It's too big for God. Or we believe the lies like, you know, my life is never going to get better. Or I'll be single for the rest of my life. Or I'm going to be stuck in this dead-end job for the rest of my life. Well, God doesn't want us to believe those lies. I like what Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says. And we are to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. You know, because we can't. Or we might not be able to, but God can. And some of you this morning, you're like, I'm at my very end. I've got nothing left to give. This is the way that my life has always been, and I'm just going to get used to it because it's the way that it's always going to be. But God wants to take those lies that are being told into your life and to make them truth. Why? Because he is faithful, and he has given us Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, we can be comforted in knowing that he is our strength, and he is our sustainer, and he is our provider. And so God gives Elijah rest and and he's working to break down these lies in his life. And then here's the end. The third one is that God's going to speak with a still small voice. You know, remember who Elijah's dealing with here. Uh, He's dealing with the God who sent rain. He's dealing with the God who sent fire from heaven. You know, he sends this storm to replenish the earth. He's seen God work in these magnificent, miraculous, spectacular ways. And so he's probably looking for God to send an army of angels from heaven right now or something. Uh, Let's pick it up in verse 11. It says, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. Now, I don't know what this would do to you, but if I'm stuck in a cave out in the middle of nowhere and a storm comes along like this, I'm going to be pretty frightened. And as a kid, I was I was terrified of storms. I don't know about you, and I've come to discover that my little three-year-old girl, she's terrified of storms too. We, we learned that a couple of weeks ago. We had a thunderstorm that went all night, 
And it was thundering, and I, I had to go get in her bed with her. And all night long, she had her covers up by her eyes. It was so cute, uh, you know, seeing her terrified of a storm. I don't know how that's cute, but, but her covers up over her eyes. And, and I'd wake up at night, and her little hand would be right on my arm. She'd be asleep, but it was just almost like, I need to know you're there. I need to know you're there. Uh, but what was really funny was uh, a couple of times in the night, she woke me up, and she was in my face saying, Daddy, quit making that noise, because I was snoring. And uh, so I come to learn that, that my snoring was more frightening to her than the thunderstorm. Daddy, quit making that noise. It's so funny. My wife won't let me sleep on my back for that reason. Okay, So we got this great event taking place outside the cave. Here's a guy who's praying for God to take his life. And, and, and so the wind comes and tears the mountains apart and shatters the rocks. But look what it says, but the Lord was not in the wind. And then it says, and then after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then it says that after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And then after it all, the fire came a gentle whisper. You know, I think we all have this flaw or this tendency in our faith at times where we really want to hear from God. And so we go looking for him to respond in all of these spectacular ways. You know, we want to see the sky open or we want to hear his voice or, or we're praying that we've got a great uncle that we've never known that sends us a letter with a million bucks in it or something. And we're always looking for God in these great, tremendous, spectacular things. And you know what? God is capable of them. And sometimes he responds in these great, miraculous ways. But at the same time, we're always on the go, 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 go. And we're moving and we're moving and we're going as fast as we can. And isn't it interesting that when Elijah finally slows down and when he is at his lowest, far from anything that resembled his normal routine or distractions. He's in a cave in the middle of nowhere. It's quiet. And in a weird series of events, the wind comes, but God's not in it. The earthquake comes, but God's not in it. And they're very careful to let us know this in Scripture. The fire came, but God wasn't in it. It's not the booming. It's not the overpowering response God had displayed in the past, but just a whisper. And it was the voice of God. And look how Elijah responded in verse 13. When Elijah heard it, he pulled a cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Just a voice. And the voice of God was enough. You know, some of you are here today and you might think you're at your end. And you are worn out and you've got nothing left to give and you're frustrated and you're hurting and you're terribly disappointed. Well, whether you realize it or not, Elijah took his eyes off of God and maybe you've done the same thing too. And maybe your ears aren't in a place right now where you can hear from Him. And, and so as we conclude our service this morning, I have been thinking about all of the different ways that we could wrap up today. Uh, is there a story that I could tell? Is there a movie clip we could play? Is there something special or spectacular that we could do? But none of that seemed appropriate. But what seemed most appropriate is what I think every one of us needs in our life. At some point, some week, every day, and that's just a chance to sit quiet, to sit quietly before God and pray that we might hear his voice. And so here's what we're going to do. Um, we've got a couple of people that are going to come up and just provide some really quiet music in the background. Uh, the lights are going to go down a bit. And I want to just give you the gift of some time to sit before God with your circumstances, with your story, with your distractions and say, I'm leaving it all behind praying that I might hear your voice in some way this morning, God. Uh, would you take this time as a gift right now and open up your eyes and your heart to God?